This is Chris Hargraves, and this is the Tips for Lawyers podcast, episode 38. It's a little hard to believe that I've done 37 episodes before now, but there you have it. Uh, 38 means that, of course, you can find the show notes, links, and anything else that I refer to in today's podcast at tipsforlawyers.com slash podcast slash 38. As always, I do appreciate those of you who leave iTunes reviews. They make a big difference to me. So if you are getting something out of the podcast, then I'd appreciate you heading over to tipsforlawyers.com slash iTunes, and that'll redirect you to iTunes where you can leave a review and a few comments and hopefully a five-star rating. Then it's time to get into the show. So today I wanted to have a talk about integrity, which is not an overly complicated topic in the sense of understanding what I'm talking about, but it seems to take on a certain shade in actual day-to-day practice. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, integrity, if you Google definition of integrity, the helpful box up the top comes up with the following, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. It's an interesting thing in my line of work. I don't think I've ever met anyone who would confess to not being honest and having strong moral principles. And yet I think we all have in our experience at least a few people who we've met who might not necessarily come up to scratch. Now, if you have been listening to or reading Tips for Lawyers for a little while, you'll know that in one of uh, the more popular articles I've done, which was called um, Are You a Real Lawyer or a Pretender?, and I'll link that up. I listed 10 characteristics of real lawyers, and one of those was integrity. Because I think if you are going to be a trusted advisor, you need to be trustworthy. It's as simple as that. And, and you can only be trustworthy if you have integrity, because eventually you will be unveiled, as it were, as someone who lacks integrity, and that is going to go badly for you if you are falling into that trap. Now, the purpose of this podcast is not to talk about the importance of honesty. I think we all fundamentally accept that. Anyone listening to this has probably done an ethics course or is going to do an ethics course in particular focused on legal ethics. And so you have an appreciation of the fundamental territory of ethics for lawyers. But I think integrity in legal circles has a tendency to get sliced away a little bit in a few particular ways that I want you to have a think about, and I want you to particularly think about how they are actually done in practice, because there are these small things that add up to a comfort with what I'll call the white lie that have a tendency to slip into legal practice. And personally, I have a pretty significant problem with them, Uh, not fundamentally because of the immediate damage they do, but because of the erosion that occurs at an internal level about the level of trust that can be allocated to someone's word. Because if you tell someone something, you need them to believe that what you are saying is 100% true, is 100% frank and open, and that you are not conspicuously withholding anything from them. Now, of course, Uh, Within the boundaries of what you do for a living, there may be occasions where you're instructed not to necessarily share something specific with the other party, uh, and it will be up to you to form an opinion about whether you have a legal obligation or not to do that. That is not specifically what I'm talking about 
today. What I'm talking about are some of the apparently minor things that occur in practice that I think could be pointed to as a lack of integrity because integrity has to be a character trait that persists even in circumstances where you will not necessarily be discovered. What do I mean by that? I'll give you possibly the most classic example uh, that I have seen pretty much every day, um, and I know it is not uncommon, but it's these words. Just tell them I'm in a meeting and I'll call them back. Now, of course, that might be 100% true. It might be somewhat untrue. In fact, what it might be is I just don't want to talk to them at the moment and I know that if I try and get you to get out of it without me actually being engaged in something else, they're going to be annoying and they're going to ask to wait on hold or something along those lines and that that's going to be irritating for everybody. However, are those excuses really good enough for you to tell what is at its most fundamental an outright lie to a client or specifically to ask your secretary or receptionist or whoever it may be to lie on your behalf. Now, if you are genuinely in a meeting, then it's not a problem, although the chances are if you're genuinely in a meeting, you probably weren't interrupted in the first place. So that's what I'm talking about fundamentally with integrity. It is this erosion concept. Now, the same result occurs in the sense that you don't want to speak to the client and therefore you won't speak to the client right at the moment. And so the message gets through to the client that you will call them back later and you probably do and no harm is done because you call them at the same time you would have otherwise called them back had a different message been given. However, what it demonstrates to me as a third party looking on is that you have a certain line that you are prepared to cross in order to achieve the outcome that you want to achieve with a minimum of friction. See, because the same message could have been given, couldn't it, with tell him I'm not available at the moment and I'll call him back later. Now, that would be 100% true and would not get past the issue of integrity because you would be telling the truth. You would still not have to talk to the client. You would still call them back at fundamentally the same time and there would be a non-issue so far as integrity and honesty was concerned. So the question is, is it okay to me, the answer is an obvious no, and yet we're fairly comfortable with this low level of deception as a profession. Tell them I'm in a meeting, tell them I'm on a call, that kind of thing. What about this example? When a client calls and asks for an update on the status of their particular work and you say, ah, yes, I've nearly got that complete. Whereas in reality, what you mean is I opened the file a couple of days ago, but then I got distracted. And so the file has sat open on my desk. And as soon as I hang up from this call, I'm going to immediately and swiftly get to that work because now you followed me up and I know it's important for you. See the difference? It's a fairly fundamental issue, isn't it? But a lot of lawyers are prepared to cross that line too, to say, or at least imply that they are further advanced in a topic than they otherwise might be. Now, I've heard a lot of rationalizations for this. I've heard some rationalizations come across in terms of people uh, using subjective terminology, nearly complete, far advanced, well underway, 
these are subjective terms and they could mean different things to different people. And so we communicate using that kind of language with a view to hopefully giving the impression that we're further along than we actually are. And so that the client won't get upset that their matter hasn't gotten the priority and they end up happy, they still probably end up getting their advice or whatever it is they're waiting for at the same time they were otherwise going to, and consequently no actual harm is done. And I think this is the rationalisation we give to ourselves, which is, I am not in any way affecting the reality That is, I will call them back at the same time or I will deliver the work in the same time or the thing will happen in the same time that it was otherwise going to, except for the fact that I have perhaps engaged in a small white lie for what that's worth. Now, there's basically no chance the client will ever tell, uh, depending on how closely they scrutinise your time recording, although if they do ask for an itemised bill, I do wonder how you're going to address it at that point when it's obvious that on the same day as the call you engaged in a flurry of activity. However, that is another common example. And I think what it demonstrates, as I said before, is a comfort with a particular low level of deception. And I'm going to call that the thin end of the wedge, because if you're comfortable with a low level of deception where you don't think you're going to get caught out, it's not a far cry to become comfortable with a slightly less low form of deception. Again, where you won't get caught out. But what about your time recording? What about uh, attendances to particular matters where you perhaps round up in your time recording more so than what is uh, legitimately justifiable? What if you are capable of using subjective or blurry language in an affidavit that you have to file with the court? These things are, of course, bordering on unethical from a Uh, legal perspective and you run the risk of getting struck off, but the comfort level is much the same because the chances of you getting found out are extremely low, but at the same time it does start to impinge upon your integrity. So really the message I wanted to send today is keep a watchful eye on how you are engaging in your day-to-day practice because your integrity, once it's lost, cannot be recovered. If you tell your secretary to tell someone's in a meeting and then they call you on your mobile and you pick it up because you didn't recognize the number, how do you think that's going to look? You've lost the trust of that client. And if that's a client of any significance, there is going to be a huge, huge problem if you cannot be trusted by them. Because if they don't trust you to tell them the truth on such a small issue like, are you available to speak right now? Then how can they possibly trust you to give them sound, honest advice in relation to bigger issues? Like, should I pursue this appeal? Or am I going to go to jail? Or can I terminate this contract? Or yes, this special condition is appropriate for your circumstances. If they can't trust you in the little things, how can they trust you in the big things? And likewise, if you're prepared to blur the lines of honesty in the little things, then how are you going to be trustworthy in your own mind on the big things? It is a thin end of the wedge and people do start to slip. It's the same with doing tax returns, it's the same with banking checks, it's the same with issuing bills, it's the same with messages for clients, it's the same with time recording. These are all fundamentally the similar thing at play. I wanted to give one final example here which relates to the taking of responsibility because this is really where integrity starts to play a major role. Because when something goes wrong, uh, lawyers who are generally full of ego and bluster are very, very, very poor 
by and large, at actually taking responsibility for something that has gone wrong. And all of a sudden, the finger pointing starts, doesn't it? I don't know if you've seen this yet. You may not have experienced it. But the finger pointing begins very quickly. Oh, well, such and such did that research. Well, so-and-so drafted that letter. Well, this person drafted that pleading and they forgot to put that thing in. Well, this person signed off on it. I didn't necessarily get to see it before it went in. Or I didn't have enough time. Or I was extremely busy. Or so-and-so should have done that better. And the scapegoating begins. And it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, at a certain level, you may have an opportunity to blame someone else, for example, who is no longer there. You may have an opportunity to blame someone else who is more junior than you and therefore is less likely to be believed. And you may have an opportunity as a consequence to decide whose time should be written off, who should be responsible for contacting the client, who should be responsible for wearing the cost to the firm if this is happening in your firm, and not all firms react the same way, but if there is a cost or a fee reversal or a bill that needs to be attended to or a write-off that needs to occur, how is that going to impact upon you? And are you going to take responsibility or are you going to try and shift the blame? And I often wonder when I hear all the finger pointing, whether it is genuinely just a function of the ego of the lawyer that they actually don't believe they did anything wrong, or whether it's simply a fundamental lack of integrity that they're not prepared to take responsibility for things going wrong, and really are only prepared to take responsibility for when things go right. It's interesting, isn't it? Everyone wants to be the person who makes the call when there's a favourable outcome in a matter. No one wants to be the person who makes the call when it's determined that something went wrong and it was avoidable. And so we start to use strange language. We end up back in that subjective territory. We start to try and point fingers. We might try to blame the client for not giving us timely or effective instructions. We might try to blame the clerk who did the research. We might try to blame the judge for making a poor decision. We might try to blame the barrister for giving a poor presentation of the case. But at the end of the day, we try to blame everyone except ourselves. And I think that is a dangerous approach. Now, sometimes, of course, it won't be your fault. I accept that not everything that happens is necessarily the fault of the person who engages in the day-to-day conduct. And thankfully, mistakes amongst lawyers are few and far between because of the checks and balances that are set up, but they are going to happen. And if you haven't experienced it yet, then you will. And you need to understand how you are going to approach it in advance. Are you going to hold on to your integrity and take responsibility, knowing as you do that that may come with a cost? Or are you going to shy away and finger point and blame and scapegoat and try and think of a way that you can avoid being held responsible for this particular activity? That is how integrity works in practice. It is often blurry, it is often grey, but it's not as grey as some people seem to think. Honesty is honesty and dishonesty is dishonesty. This has been Tips for Lawyers episode number 38. Thank you again for listening. Head over to tipsforlawyers.com slash iTunes and leave a review if you're finding this helpful. If you're not finding it helpful, um, you can leave a review too, but I suspect you won't because you're probably not listening to it. That's all I had for today. I'll see you next time.